good and not the theory that God's good. We're looking at the reality that God is good. And, and He's not just good. He's, he's far better than, than we think. Uh, he is good in all His ways. Last week we, we looked at a quote that A.W. Tozer said. He said, when, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. When we think about God, what pops in our minds? And we talked a little bit uh, last week that very often what we say about God, we've kind of filtered through a lot of things instead of, of just it just immediately oozing out. The fact is God is good regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what we're going through. The goodness of God never changes. We have just come to understand God in a little bit different way. In fact, for many people, God's changed. I, I, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to and says, well, the God of the Old Testament is not the same God of the New Testament. You know, God used to do things differently than He does now. Listen to me. We're going to look today at, at this idea that has God changed? He hasn't. He hasn't. Now, don't jump on board with me too quick, okay, because very often we say that, but what we think, our theology determines something else. And, 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 and I mentioned last week, thinking about God is our theology. That's what theology means. It's how we think about God. It's, 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 it's how we see God. And so our thinking has to be guided by something. And, and, and the reality of it is it needs to be guided by what God's Word says. It needs to be guided by the truth of God's Word. For this truth, though, to move from our head to our heart and to become a biblical theology that we live out, we have to experience the truth. We can't just know the truth, okay? It, it, Jesus, Jesus put it this way. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Jesus intended for us to, 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 to focus on Him. He's the way. And, and to, to grasp the truth, to embrace the truth. But he, he intended for us also to experience the life. It's not enough just to know Jesus. We have to experience Jesus for something to happen within us. Experience is not a bad thing. Now, I grew up in the church I grew up and in and most of the teaching I got early on and then in, in Bible college and some in seminary, experience was... It was like, stay away from experience. You cannot trust experience. Well, what happens is you get a head full of knowledge, but you don't have any way to work that knowledge out into reality, into the way you live. Listen, experience, there's nothing wrong with experience when it's balanced with truth. Truth without experience is out of balance, and experience without truth is out of balance. It's not a choice between one or the other. One without the other is less than what Jesus paid for on the cross. He didn't just die so that we'd have truth. He died so that we could experience the truth. We could live it out. Truth without experience doesn't transform us, folks. I know tons of people who can repeat back to me the truths of Scripture, but it hasn't transformed them. There has to be an experiential uh, moment in their life where they're transformed by that truth. But here's the other side of that. Experience without truth is confusion. It's just, it's just activity. 
So there's got to be a balance. Most believers are like pendulums. Y'all know what a pendulum is, don't you? Okay, a pendulum swings here and swings here. Okay, most of us live out here or out there, right? The true point of a pendulum is where it stops. That's, that's dead center of where we're supposed to be. And so, but most of us are like pendulums. We, spring, we swing from one extreme to another. It's truth or experience. It's either or. And that's kind of how we live out our, our Christian lives. It's either this or it's that. And in reality, it's not either or. It's not truth or experience. It's both and. It's truth and experience. And any theology that doesn't accommodate both in balance is lacking. It's destructive. It's demonic. And there, I've gone ahead and I've just said it, okay? It's demonic. Its origin is not from above. According to, to James 3.15, James says this, if it's not from above, it's earthly. It's unspiritual. And that word unspiritual means natural. And then he just he just drives the nail home. He says it's demonic. Paul calls it in, in 1 Timothy 4.1, he calls it the doctrine of demons. Its origin is not in God. Its origin is in the devil. And here's what Jesus said. He said the enemy, the devil, is a liar. Okay? So whatever he does is according to his nature is a lie, right? Okay, I just want to hear, you know. And this is how he works. He, he knows that we're not likely to accept a big old lie. Right? Most of us can discern a, a lie when it's just obvious that it's lie. When it's got a, a flashing light on it that says lie, lie, lie. We, we pretty much pick up on that. But what he does is he takes just a little bit of a lie and he wraps it in a lot of truth. Because he uses truth. You remember when, when Jesus was uh, being tempted by the, by the devil in the, in the wilderness? He was being uh, tried, and, 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 and the devil quoted Scripture. Right? Scripture is always true, right? Except when it's quoted out of context. All right? And that's what Satan did. He quoted it out of context. He pulled a little here, pulled a little there, swirled them together, and said, Hey, the Bible says... Jesus went, no, it is written. Boom, boom, boom. And so what happens is the devil will take something out of context that corrupts it, or he'll, he'll put it in a context that corrupts the truth. And, and what happens is he will turn truth into a lie. And he adds a little here, and he subtracts a little there, and what he presents is always less, listen to me, than what Jesus paid for on the cross. It's always less. It's less than. And much of the Christianity, much of the theology that we're familiar with fits that definition because it has limitations. A lot of times we build our belief systems and our theologies which I've said over and over and over is the way we think about God. We build it from our lack of experience. In other words, God acts this way because I've never seen Him act any other way. Or this is my mom and daddy never saw Him act 
any other way. My grandparents never saw him. In our church, this is the way God acts. And we read the Bible and we read what it says, but we've never seen it. And if we've never seen it, and we don't even know anybody who has, then what happens is there's a lack there. There's an absence there. But there's no absence or lack in God. It's a lack or an absence of our experience. God's Word says this, but my experience is this. My friend's experience is this. My church's experience is this. And you know what? The two of them don't measure up, so... I'm not seeing it. I'm not experiencing it. So how do I deal with it? Well, sadly, too often, in fact, most often, we simply excuse it or we we explain that particular truth away. We reason it away or we give God a side door escape So his character's still intact, but we accept the lie that, you know what, God works a little differently today. He works a little differently with us than he did in biblical times. He works a little differently uh, than he did in Jesus' day, Or, or, or maybe he works a little differently than he did in the book of Acts. And we accept our lack of experience as the final word rather than standing on the truth until our experience equals what God's Word says. Folks, I've studied theology for the past 30 years. I've studied with... I'm not, I'm not just talking about people who teach it. I'm talking about people who are experts in it. Some, some world-class scholars, some, some men who love Jesus Christ. But very often what happens is we accept a, a, a theology of lack... Instead of, of believing the truth of what God says. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say it loud. I'm going to say it hard. God has never changed. Everything that God has done in Scripture and more, He's still capable of doing. And just because I've not experienced it doesn't mean God has changed. And just because you've not experienced it doesn't mean that God has changed. God's not dependent on what I've experienced or not. God says, I am this. And he never changes. I can do this. I'm omnipotent. So he never changes. But what happens is because we lack an experience or, or we don't, we've never experienced it, we kind of water it down to explain Why we're not seeing those things. Why it's not happening today. And you know what? The problem's not with God. The problem is with us. Bottom line is we really don't believe what God says. Now, I grew up in churches that believed in the infallible word of God all the eyes, let's see, the, the, the inerrancy, the infallibility, the immutability, and on and on and on. We believe every word from Genesis to Revelation, except we would explain away about half the New Testament and say, this doesn't happen anymore. Folks, that's not true. It's still happening. It's still occurring God is still doing what He has always done. We don't see it because we're not looking for it. We don't believe 
It can happen anymore, and we don't believe it based on anything God said, but based on our own experience. Listen, if your theology is based on your experience, your theology will not be God's theology. All right? God does not lack. Now, none of us would say that out loud. You say, well, Nelson, you just did. I know. I got nowhere else to go, nothing else to lose. I'm, I'm just where I live at, okay? But most Christians would never say that out loud. We don't even want to consider that in our minds. But, but folks, that's exactly what happens in our lives and, and our beliefs far too often. And what happens is this way of thinking about God, that God has somehow changed that he doesn't do the things he used to do, ultimately affects our view of his goodness. Remember, the Bible declares with, with no uncertainty. It is certain in what it says. It says that God is good. Listen to what Psalms 107 verse 1 says. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his loving kindness, his goodness, his grace is everlasting. It never ends. It has no stopping point. It continues on and on and on. It doesn't decrease. He doesn't run out of gas with his goodness. So lack of experience, lack of experience is technically the same thing as no experience. You do realize that. You ever went to... Uh, how many of you, when you got out of high school, you, you had this dream job you wanted, and, and the first thing they told you is, come back when you have some experience. Oh, we can't hire you. You don't have any experience. That lack of experience was a nice way of saying you don't have any experience. And so what happens is that, that, that truth that, that, that God has changed that, 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 that because of my lack of experience, I'm not being transformed day in and day out. It opens the door up for the truth I do believe to be riddled like termites do. You ever seen a piece of wood that has termites in it? It's, it's just riddled with holes. And what happens is the devil riddles the truth we do hold on to. And it doesn't transform us. And we, we begin to believe those lies. And what happens is we willingly give up what God has given to us. How many of you realize we have divine promises from God? We have an inheritance from God. Scripture says we are the heirs of God. Okay, amen? Well, brother, we're going to get that someday in heaven. No, we're going to get that someday right now when we step into it. Some of it we get now. Some of it we do get in heaven. We love to sing songs that look forward to a day in the by and by, but we're unwilling to live in faith now. And the sad thing is we're going to get there and we're not going to know how to live. I've told you this over and over. We're going to have to go to remedial class and spend our first thousand years in heaven learning how to act. Okay? The reality of it is, is we lack because we don't understand our inheritance. We are heirs of God. And here's what Scripture all says. Joint heirs with Jesus. Jesus said everything the Father has, He's given to me. 
So everything the Father has, He's given to His sons and daughters because we are joint heirs with Jesus. You say, Nelson, I'm not sure I can believe it. That's just, that's not, that, you don't even have to know Greek to see that. That's what it means. Well, if I'm not experiencing it, what's the issue? My experience needs to rise to the level of my God. My experience needs to change. You see, God sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross so that he could give us the things he wanted to give us. And Jesus delivered those things to us, and he's given us those things through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And yet, you know what? We'd rather excuse our lack of experience by explaining it away. So how good really is God? How, is, how, how good is God? You know what? My life and your life and our lives collectively lived out is supposed to flesh out Jesus daily. It's to flesh out the goodness of God. We, we're to flesh out His Word. We're to flesh out His will. We're to flesh out His ways every day. He showed us how to do that while He was walking on this planet. Jesus said something. Y'all have heard me use this passage a great deal. This passage turned my life upside down. I can't get away from it. I can't hide from it. I can't explain it away. My experience is not there yet, but it's going to be. It's going to because I'm not going to believe my experience. I'm going to believe what Jesus said. But Jesus said something that should rock our world on just how God, good God really is and how different our daily experiences in Christ ought to be, should be based on placing our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ. In John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus said this. He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, He who believes in me, the works that I do, he or she will also do. And then he says this, and greater than those, these shall he or she do, because I go to the Father. Jesus is, he's discussing, these are his last words as he prepares to leave and he will go out to the garden and he'll be arrested and his, his, his followers will flee and ultimately he'll be crucified. These are the last words group of of words, the most important things he can share. And it's interesting that that he, he tells his disciples, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And he says, if you'd known, if you had known me, you would have known the Father, and and you know where I'm going. And Philip goes, Lord, we don't know, we don't have a clue where you're going. How can we know the way? And and Jesus tells him, and then he then he goes into this 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 speech, and he begins to share with them. You know, how can you say, "Show us the Father"? I I've shown you the Father. When you see me, you see God. You experience God. And he says, "Listen, if you don't believe me, believe the works that I have done." If you can't believe I'm who I say, then believe what I've done because you've seen it. You can't deny it. You've experienced it. That's what he said. You can't deny that experience. You can't grasp the truth yet, but you can't deny the, 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 the experience. It, it's, it, 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 that transformation needs to take place there. And then he says this, just what I read you. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, 
he or she shall also do. And greater works than these shall he or she do because I go to the Father. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying God is so good that he's authorizing and he's empowering you to represent me, to represent. That's what represent means. It means to represent something over and over and over. If you, are, if you work in a company and you're a, a rep, you represent that company everywhere you go. You represent their products as you, as you go about and as you make sales. Uh, that's all Jesus is, is saying here. He says we are supposed to represent Him over and over and over again. We are representing the goodness of God. He, he's endued us with this power. He's endued us uh, with, this, with this presence so that we can transform lives as we proclaim and we demonstrate that good news. For some reason, we have gotten into this mindset that all we have to do is preach the truth. We got to live out the truth. Preaching without demonstration, without illustration, without application doesn't change anybody's lives. If it did, most of us would float above the ground. How many of you have heard more than one sermon in your life? Okay, I can get to the place where I've heard thousands and thousands and thousands of them. Hearing them doesn't change you. It's when that, when that truth becomes experience in your life, when the Holy Spirit makes application and there's a change that takes place. And Jesus is saying in this passage that God is so good, He's enduing you with His power. So that you can do what Jesus did. So that the, the story, so that the truth can continue on from generation to generation to generation. And Jesus says, it's not, you're not just going to do what I've done. How many of you would be thrilled to death if you just could do something Jesus did? You know, every one of us can trust the Father and believe in Him. Okay? Every one of us. Jesus doesn't stop with just doing what he did. This is what he says. And greater works. Greater works. Greater works. I've heard theology explain it away as, yes, Jesus only spoke to a certain number of people. And there are men and women today who speak to larger groups, larger numbers. You know what? Speaking to a large number isn't a greater work. Okay, when Jesus talks about works here, he's talking about the acts of power that he performed. He's talking about his whole ministry, not just the number of people who heard him or saw him. And so what happens is, is Jesus is saying here, he's, look, I'm giving you the power and I'm enduing you with something that will literally transform the lives of the people that you proclaim to and the people that you demonstrate the good news to. God is so good for, that for those who believe, who listen to what God says and do exactly what God says when he says it, they're going to do even greater things than I've done. Folks, you can slice that, you can dice that, you can explain it, you can excuse it away based on your personal experience up to this moment. Or you know what? You can believe it and step into it. You can step up into it. Whenever Jesus calls us to do something, it's always more than we've ever done before. You know what? We don't do it on our own. We do it in Jesus. Jesus does it. Let me say it this way. Jesus does it through us. 
You have to put some demands on your faith. Okay? Or you don't have any faith. And what Jesus is saying here is you put some demands on your faith until you see it happen. You believe it and you will see it. This this is what's interesting in God's economy. God's economy works this way. We don't see it and then believe it. We believe it and then we see it. We want to we see it so we can believe it. If I want to see it so I can believe it, I don't believe it so I'll never see it. Write that one down. That one's worth thinking about, okay? If, if I've got to see it, seeing is believing. I heard that growing up, seeing is believing. Well, that works in a lot of things, but it doesn't work in walking with Jesus. Jesus says, believe it. And you will see it. Say, Nelson, why are you hammering this? Because we're not seeing it. All right? And if we're not careful, we'll settle for a theology of less than. The sons and the daughters of God believe it, and then they see it. They experience the truth as the truth is experienced through them. I know what some of you are saying. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. Yeah, but, 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 but. We don't see miracles like the people saw in Jesus' day. We don't see the miracles and the healings, and we don't see the raising of the dead, and we don't see the casting out demons like we see in the ministries of the early believers in Acts. We don't see it. That's called lack of experience. That's not called God has changed. That's called lack of experience. So therefore, if we don't see it, then something must have changed. You know what? It certainly did. But it's not God. It's the church. It's the body that He has chosen to act through. The organism that he has, he has chosen to use to demonstrate both the truth and the life-changing experience of the truth. The change is in believers, folks. And rather than looking in the mirror and confronting our lack of belief, and our, 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 we've built all these kind of theologies... And these belief systems that, that sound so pious, that sound so good, but they, they excuse our responsibility. By the way, Jesus, Jesus doesn't tell us to pray for the sick. You can check this out if you want to. Jesus says, heal them. Paul writes to the elders and as he writes to Timothy, he says, call the elders of the church together and pray for the sick. Now, I'm not saying we don't pray for the sick. I believe we do. But it's interesting. Jesus doesn't say pray for the sick. He says, I'm, you heal the sick. Heal the sick. Cast out the... You know, that's why when, when, when I am confronted with certain things, I don't even have to pray. What do I do here? I know what I'm supposed to do. If I meet somebody that's demonized, I am supposed to set them free. Okay, that, that's my mandate. That was the mandate of the early church. Go ye therefore. And it's not changed, folks. It's not changed. The change is in us. We excuse our responsibility and, and we hide our weakness and our anemic faith. And I'm going to go ahead and say this. This is probably not 
We're just too gutless to challenge the lie the devil has told us. This is just the way it is. It's been this way for my mama, my daddy, my grandparents for, for ten generations. We hadn't seen this. Well, then, then there's an issue. And it's not with God. It's not with God. God cannot change. But, but pastor, we don't see this. I, I mean, I'm asked over and over, why don't we see these things in America? Why, why when we go on a mission trip do we see this, but we don't see it here? Uh, because we don't ask for it here. We don't act on it here. It's a whole lot easier to step out in faith when you don't know anybody and they don't know you and the chances of them ever seeing you again is slim and none, right? Let's just be honest. But what if I step out and I, I do something with somebody I'm going to see tomorrow, the next day, for the next 20 years? Well, you know, maybe God doesn't do it. I don't know. I have to ask all We ask too many questions. We ask too many questions. We make too many excuses. Listen to me. God does not need you nor me to make excuses to guard or save His honor. All right? He just needs me and you to obey. He'll take care of his honor. Folks, our theologies, most of them, are no longer based in truth, much less experience. They're based in lack of experience, in poverty. We are teaching a poverty gospel. Okay? This is not poverty right here. I know I'm stepping in some places that hurt right now. But I'm just telling you, we're preaching a different gospel than the first century church preached. The second century church. The third century church. They turned the world upside down. Because their gospel was not a gospel of poverty. That this is all there is and it's not going to get any better till we get to heaven. They realized their job was to bring heaven to earth. The kingdom come. The will of God be done. And what's happening is the message of our faith, the message of of the gospel, the message of our life is producing a gospel that is bankrupt. It's a less than gospel. It's a gospel that God has changed. And this is not how he does things. And so what happens is, if that's all we have to offer, we have nothing to offer. Okay? If we don't have the same gospel that Jesus died to give us, we are preaching less than, and we have nothing to offer. People don't need my experiences. They need the truth. The truth is what transforms them. And folks, that kind of gospel is not the gospel Jesus died for that is not what he lived, what he died, what he arose from the dead to give us. That, that's not the prize. That's not the treasure he purchased with his broken body and his spilled blood. That's not why he left heaven and joined himself to flesh. I don't think many of us realize this, but when, when God, very God, joined himself to flesh, he joined himself with flesh for eternity, forever and ever and ever. He will never cease to be God and man. When he returns, he will be the God-man returning. Okay? He, he will never be simply God anymore. 
He joined himself to flesh, folks. He's still God 100%, but he's also taken on our humanity. Why? Because he is that good. He's that good. He's that good. He came to show us that goodness in the flesh. He came to express that goodness in the flesh. To demonstrate that goodness in the flesh. To illustrate that goodness in the flesh. So that you and I could and that we would demonstrate it to everybody around us. So that they could experience it firsthand. If I don't teach my experience, the person who I share it with won't have an experience. Okay? If, if, if I didn't have an experience, I got nothing to teach. You say, Nelson, but there's the truth. I understand, but there's truth and experience. Both of those are what transform us. That's what transform us. He commissioned us to bring heaven to earth in every situation and every circumstance where hell bubbles up. We are supposed to step into those places. We're not supposed to hide. We're not digging foxholes waiting for Jesus to come back. Dear God, that's the worst theology in the book. And by the way, it didn't come from this book. We're not waiting to be rescued. If you study scriptures, Jesus is coming back for a bride. A bride who has prepared herself. A bride who has has made herself ready. She is ready for him to come back. She's not crouching in a hole, shivering and shaking. Oh God, oh God, oh God, come rescue me. He is coming back for a victorious bride. Okay? Say, Nelson, what has got into you? Well, there comes a point when you just have to make a choice and in the garbage you've believed, in the garbage you've been taught, and what Scripture says. We are living at a level less than that screams to the rest of this planet that our God's not as good as He claims to be. That we claim He is. And we've tried our best to replace the power of God's goodness with a plate full of religious paradigms and and a bunch of theological gobbledygook. We like to talk in circles. Listen, I I, I attended seminary. I wouldn't take anything for it. But we had all these great theoretical discussions that don't work once you get out of the classroom. I'm teaching theology right now to, to young men and women. And, and, and you know what? I refuse to go those places. We can argue and debate, but here's the reality. If you don't have something that somebody can experience, if you don't have truth that's experiential, you know what? It doesn't change anything. It doesn't make any difference. And, and what we've done is we've done our best to explain away our unbelief and call it belief. And we still try to bring people to the gospel. I want you to listen to me, and I'm, I'm, I'm just about done. When Jesus healed the blind, when he raised the dead, when he, when he, he, he raised up a son or a daughter, when he cured a leper, when he set a man or a woman or a child free from the stranglehold of a, of a, of a, of a hellish demon, Jesus was declaring God's extreme radical goodness. This is how good God is. Jesus didn't do any of the miracles he did other than to demonstrate God's goodness to the people on this planet. 
Every miracle, every healing, every deliverance were living, breathing, fleshed out experiences in the life of a person. A person who never forgot how good God is. When something like that happens to you, you don't forget God. You don't forget the truth of God. You don't forget God's goodness because what's happened is the truth is now balanced in a personal experience of God's goodness. You don't have to tell me how God good God is. I know He's done this for me. And you know what? God hadn't changed. <coughs> think about it for a minute. Do, do you think the young woman who was caught in the very act of adultery ever forgot about God's undeserved goodness that He extended to her? I'll guarantee she didn't. What about the cripple who had never walked in his life? Do you think he tried to explain it away as the goodness of God when he got around those people that didn't believe? And they said, oh, brother, that, that, was, just, that was just mind over matter. Yabba dabba 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 do. That was the, you know, all that kind of stuff. No, he didn't accept that. He says, I, I, I read where Peter and John healed the guy. He says, I don't know. You know, I don't know, it may have been, it may not have been Peter and John. It may have been the guy Jesus heals at the pool of Bethesda. He says, they say, well, he, he can't be good. He's, he's, he's healing on the seventh. And the guy says, hey, I don't know. You, you make a decision on that. I didn't, I couldn't walk and now I can. You know what that is? That's truth that's become experience. And you can't change that in somebody's life. That's why the early church, you could burn them. You could boil them alive. You could drown them. You could crucify them. You could do whatever you wanted, but it would not diminish what they had experienced. Okay? They didn't just have truth. They had truth with experience, and it made them crazy. They were willing to die for what they believed. They were willing to die for the truth that they had experienced. There's a guy right now who's in heaven. You know him as the thief on the cross. He's got nail holes in his wrists. He's got nail holes in his feet. His name's not Jesus, okay? And I'll guarantee you, he is going up to every person he can find. And he's telling them what Jesus has done. Now listen to me. He's preaching to the choir. Y'all know that expression. They already know. That's why they're there. Okay? They've already experienced. But he's not letting that diminish them. And, and he'll be doing that for eternity. Man, I was, I was headed to hell. I was headed on a transport truck with no brakes straight into the pit. And Jesus changed my life. And I get to celebrate this. I get to, this is how good God is. That he would pluck me from a cross after a life of sin and degradation and murder and everything else. And God would pluck me from that and give me eternal life. I don't know if he's quoting this passage or not, but it, it, it seems really uh, perfect for what I'm talking about, Psalms 34, verse 8, Oh, taste and see the Lord is good. This man had tasted 
It wasn't just a concept he had learned in a classroom that he'd heard a preacher exegete and break down into 25,000 different parts in a 40-part series. He, he, that, that's not what he had experienced that truth. That truth had transformed him from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. He's declaring the truth that he had personally experienced and it changed his destiny. Remember what Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says. It says it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. It was God's goodness that transformed him. Remember me today when you come into your kingdom. Fifteen minutes before he was going just like his buddy. Hey, if you're who you say you are, won't you take us all down off this cross? Somewhere in there, though, the goodness of God got hold of him. And it led him to repentance. He says, hey, Lord, remember me when you come into your reward, when you come into paradise. God does not change. God cannot change. I love this passage out of Numbers. It's verse 20, I mean chapter 23, verse 19. This is not even a believer saying this. This is a pagan prophet who ultimately dies because he, he tricks Israel. He can't do it the way he would prefer to. He, so he, he, he teaches the, the nation he's working for some ins and outs and tells them, if you do this, this will work. But this is what he says about God. He says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent, that he should change his mind. Has he not said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? In other words, that's the testimony of an unbeliever. Okay? He knows this. He's seen it in action. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 puts it this way. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today, yes and forever. God has not changed, nor has the way He does things, regardless of what anybody's lack of experience says. Okay? He has not changed. The way we think about God has to conform with the truth of God that's revealed to us in Scripture, or our theology, the way we think about God, will always be less than the revelation of God. Listen to me. I'm done. God is good. Okay, he, he's, he's far better than we can even consider. But we just got to get to that place where regardless of the situation, regardless of my circumstances, God is good. When Becky shared at the beginning of the, of the, uh, the service, and she, she shared about the testimony last week, I, I was reminded she, she, God did something good, and then, boom, something bad happened. And we have this mindset that when something good happens, you better get ready, something bad's coming. And what happens over the years, we, we start to think, well, God will give us good and give us bad and, and suffering and suffering and blah, 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 blah. There are nations today that that's their theology. 
I went to Romania in 20, 2005, I believe, and, 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 and taught in a men's conference. And the national mindset of the people in Romania is this. If something good happens, then something bad's coming right behind it. Why? Because that's been their experience. And, and what's happened is, is for whatever reason, they have come to believe that that's just a part of, of living with God. Folks, that's a lie. And we believe that. Too many of us believe that when, when this little event happens or that little event happens or, or something bad takes place, we go, God, why? 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 Listen, I'm going to tell you something. We live in a world that is filled with sin. And when the Bible talks about suffering, it's not talking about stuff like that. It's talking about suffering for the persecution of Jesus Christ. Your cross to bear is not something other than that. Okay? That's bad theology. That's, that's a theology that God has somehow changed. Listen, bad things happen to good people. It's not God. It's not God's will. God didn't send it. God didn't create it. It just happens. It's a part of this system we live in. One of these days, we're going to be translated out of this system. You do realize that, don't you? We are Salvation is a finished work, but it's also a process. We are saved from the power of sin, right? Okay? It's done. One of these days, we're going to be saved from the presence of sin. That means where we're going to be, there won't be any more of that. And we won't have to suffer that way. Now, we can get excited about that. But otherwise, you know what? When I have a flat tire, I don't need to sit on the side of the road and go, God, why would you let this happen to me? I need to get myself out, jack that baby up, put a new one on it, and say, dear God, thank you that I didn't run off down there and hit that pine thicket. Next time somebody bumps into my car, I don't need to say, oh, God, why did you do that? I just say, God, I'm glad I wasn't in it when it happened. You know, they, we, we just have this wrong theology. i got to quit. I'm done. I'm through. Okay, I'm preaching somebody else's sermon now. Listen to me. God has not changed. If my experience is not on the level with the revelation of God, then my experience level needs to rise. All right? So that means the issue is not with God, it's with me. If I'm not experiencing it, if I'm not living it out, then I've got to examine what I believe. And I've got to examine what I've accepted. And listen to me. This is, a, this is something you can take to the bank with you. You can take it to heaven with you. If you'll accept less, the devil will give it to you. He will stand in line to meet your expectation. But if you won't expect less, you disempower him and he falls by the wayside. He has no effect on you. Whomever you partner with becomes your partner. If I won't accept less, all I want is God's best. Guess what? God says, this is somebody I can work with. So Nelson, that sounds like a fanatic. You be whatever you want to be. You Every level you want to live at, okay? I'm going to live that level. Or I'm going to die trying. All right? Okay. That's all I got to say. God has not changed. 
our experience level has to rise. I know some of you, we, we've, been, we've, we've gone two semesters uh, in, in, in some healing classes. And, and you know what? We hadn't seen these big major miracles we expected. Well, I'm not quitting. I'm going to keep praying. And I'm going to keep talking to people that I don't know. And I'm going to keep asking, can I pray for you? And you know what's going to happen? One day my level of experience is going to hit that place where, where the Bible talks about. But if I quit short of it, I'll never see it. I remember one of my pastors used to say, the church that doesn't pray for sick people won't ever see any sick people healed. That's the theology I'm living with. Okay? So I want to encourage you, if you're in that class, listen, if you don't pray for anybody, you won't see anybody. You say, well, why? I don't know the whys. Because we've not believed in so long, we've got to convince ourselves that the truth is still the truth. Listen, if we're the people of the book, the truth has not changed. Okay? And if the truth hadn't changed and my experience doesn't equal the truth, then my experience has got to rise, son. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.